welcome to another episode of Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Kim, and I'm so excited that you decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first time tuning in, welcome. If you are a part of the community here at Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black, welcome back. I appreciate each and every one of you for taking out the time to listen. If you have not subscribed, make sure you go ahead and do so so you never miss an episode. So just go ahead, pause it right now and go subscribe. (laughs) If you have been listening each and every week and you've been learning something, make sure you leave a review. If you haven't left a review but you've DM'd me, And tell me that you've learned something or you've taken notes. I appreciate that. But I would also appreciate it even more if you would take the time to leave that review. So I'm thanking you guys in advance. Also, take some time to rate the podcast. Last week, I had the the privilege of talking to Kendria about taking control of your mental health as a single mom. So if you did not get to catch that episode make sure you go back and listen to that Kendria shared how she went from a single mom to a married mom and how she went from sitting in the chair getting therapy to actually becoming a counselor and life coach which was very interesting for me so definitely go check that out this week we are talking with Dr. Sophia Reed about how the behavior of single parents affect children. And I know sometimes you may not think that the way you act affects your children, but listen, it does, okay? And we're going to talk about it today. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Hi, Dr. Sophia Reed. Welcome to Experiencing Motherhood single and black. I'm so excited to have you on today. How are you doing? I am doing good and I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So like you said, um, my name is Dr. Reed. I obviously have a PhD in human behavior. My master's is in marriage and family therapy. Um, But most importantly, I just want to give you guys a brief overview about my single mom story because it is very untraditional. And I feel like when people hear all these degrees, they're like, okay, you know, how can she relate to me? Um, So I became a single mom when I was um, 24 years old. Um, My son's father is not in his life. In fact, um, when my son was about a month old, he became incarcerated where he spent the last seven or he spent seven years. And so during that time, I feel like we go through a lot of things that single moms go through. It's like, you know, how can I try to salvage this situation or this relationship with this family? So I feel like for the first three years, we actually did go visit him in prison. Um, And then I should say, because this is where the drama comes in. So I'm going to say this. Uh, I think when my son was about a year old, I found out that he was still legally married. And then um, as we were visiting him in prison, I found out that he also had like a girlfriend. So literally sometimes I would show up. I know. (laughs) I would show up to the jail. And then I think the jail people or the prison people liked me because they would kind of throw hints. Like, you know, somebody saw him yesterday and it was like his (laughs) girlfriend. And so sometimes they limit the visits. Um, you know, based on how many visitors they have. And oh so sometimes goodness. I would come in and he was like looking over his shoulder, like, oh my God, is somebody going to come in? So make a long story short, 
I was like, you know, I can't do this. This is way too much drama. This is way too much crazy. It was like two hours to get to the prison. And he was just not, you know, acting like he was appreciative of, you know, us coming there, even that he was interested in being a father. Like it was just so much back and forth during that time. So I feel like about maybe four years of doing that. I was like, you know what, I'm going to let you be on your own <laughs> in your nonsense. I'm going to do me. And, you know, that I would get my master's at the time. And that's when I really started to focus on myself. So I kind of felt like once I rid, rid myself of like all that drama, all that nonsense. And that's when I really like got a purpose. That's when I really had a motivation to encourage women because, you know, I don't get child support. I didn't get any help like that for like the first seven years. No family members lived near me during that time. I was literally doing it all on my own. And so, but, you know, I don't resent those times, even though it was hard, because that's where I kind of got the encouragement to do what I do now, um, which is blogging, you know, um, through my blog site and also encouraging women and single mothers to kind of go after what they feel they were meant to do and, you know, not feel there's any limitations. So I'm like, if I can do it with all of that, then I know y'all can do it. So. Right, right. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Ooh. I know. <laughs> so long. Jesus. But I had to explain that part. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so how old is your son now? He'll be 10 on July 3rd. Oh wow, so you've been basically a single mom for 10 years. Yes, so two years ago I moved um, towards the Northern Virginia area to be closer to my mom, so now it's a lot different. I don't know why I didn't make the decision sooner because she helps me out a lot, but prior to that I was just like me and that's it. Like we live two hours yeah, away. Yeah. And so it wasn't like I had anybody to really like help or anything like that. Like the struggle was real, um, you know, especially going through my master's program. I had an internship. I had to like find people to watch my kid because I still had a job. It was crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I talk a lot about, well, lately I've been talking a lot about relocating as a single mom because that's my current story. Um, I moved to Houston away from my family in Mississippi but it's like there are no jobs back home and there's nothing I could really do besides teach with my degree, right? And then I even then I have to get a certification. So it's like, okay, you know, and the, and the education system is uh, it's kind of horrible down there. So it's like, okay, Kim, what are you going to do, you know? And I decided to move because I thought that that was the best decision for me. And listen, it has been the best decision, okay? Like, I don't regret um, ever moving, even though it's been a very challenging. And so many times I wanted to go back home, but I am still here almost three years later. It's almost been three years. So, yes, I totally... Yeah, family counts. <laughs> Family yeah. helps for a lot. I mean, I don't, I'm not in love with this area, but you know, my mom helping me, it counts for a whole, whole lot compared to, yeah, you know, where sure. I was. So. And I, I'm, I'm like, if I could move back home and still have the job and, um, you know, be able to do what I do here, then definitely I would totally move right. back home, but I don't have that. <laughs> so it's like, I have to choose. But anyways, so, um, I was looking around on your site and, um, I think I came across a video about celibacy and I don't know how you feel talking about this. I think you're pretty comfortable because you were talking yeah, about it's my side. <laughs> Yeah, yes. so tell me before we get into that, are you currently dating? Like what's that like? I mean, your son is older, right? So I think you have um a lot more flexibility and then your mom is helping out. Are you currently I'm not currently I'm not currently dating. Um, actually, when my son was younger, I went through a huge dating phase. 
And I just felt like, um, because I can tell you the story of when I became celibate, maybe that might help you really understand. Because like, I just felt like in those times, I was just going through bad relationships. Because I think sometimes as single moms, we're like, oh, you know, I want a complete family. I want like, to be married. I want this. I want that. And so I just felt like at that time, I was just throwing myself into like relationships that necessarily were not good for me. Mm -hmm. And so I really kind of took a break in terms of like, okay, you know, Sophia, what do you really want to do? And with me being a Christian, I prayed about it. And God was like, you know, the man is going to come in the right time, but you really need to focus on like, I always say, I don't feel like I was put here to be somebody's like, wife or girlfriend. Yes, those things add on to like fulfillment. Yes, you know, those can be fulfilling relationships. But I felt like I was doing too much of the relationship that I really wasn't focusing on a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so when I really kind of took a step back, I was like, you know what, what I'm like, I have a lot of gifts in me. Like, why am I sitting up here, you know, chasing these men? And so I do want to tell the celibacy story if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. Y'all be able to like relate to me. Yeah, for sure. And so, um, and so, um, it had been on my heart to be celibate for a while. And so I had been dating this guy for maybe like two years. And I say it was probably more of like a sex thing. You know how we get like super infatuated with sex. And so it was my birthday. And so I went over to his house and I remember like God saying, you know, don't say it's your birthday. Don't say anything because I felt like I was blinded by the sex, to be honest with you. He was like, you know, don't say anything about anything. Just see, yeah, just see how this guy treats you. So we, I went in, you know, that was, you know, we had sex. And then he was like, okay, you have to leave because I have somebody else coming. And it was like four o'clock in the morning. I was getting Are ready to go to sleep. And he was like, well, I have my real, no. And I felt like, how did I miss this? Like, and so I did he not, he did not acknowledge how it was my birthday. He didn't even ask me how I was doing, how my day was. I was like, anything that he's going to say, what did you do today? Cause I had just finished celebrating with my friends. I felt like, Oh, I'm going to tell him it's my birthday. And, and he had spent my last birthday with me. So I'm like, okay, this is how insignificant wait, I am wait, to this wait, person. Wait, 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 I have to stop you. This is the same person you were dating for two years. Yes, but you know, I feel like dating is such a loose word because he was not my boyfriend. It was more oh, of like a okay. casual dating. Yeah, and I felt like it was such a lustful but relationship then, that I, I felt like I was missing that. Yeah, I mean, no. And then, you know, I spent my, my last birthday with him. And I'm like, okay, but surely you should know yeah. that this is my birthday. But I just feel like that's just the things that we miss. And then it made me say like, okay, but I'm sharing my body with you. And you don't even know when my birthday is. Like, what type of mess is that? And so it just really changed how I view the concept of relationships and the concept of viewing love because it's like, okay, you know, I connected with this guy on an intimate level, but ultimately for him, that's all it was. It's not like he saw me anything more after these two years of, you know, dating than what it was like so comfortable that you told me to like get out at four o'clock in the morning. And so that's when I was like, you know, I'm not going to continue to put myself through this. Like, I need to get to know because I feel like sex blinds things, you know. And so I was like, you know, when I date a guy, I really need to get to know if this person wants me for me without giving up that part of myself because I don't want to be blinded. I want to see somebody for who they are. And I think that if I really would have reflected on the the relationship, or not even the relationship, the dating situation, I would have seen him. Like he was showing me who he was, but he would also say like, oh, I'm a nice guy. I'm this, and I kind of believe that I wasn't looking at his actions I was just looking at like what he was saying and therefore I was like okay you know he says he's a nice guy it must be true but it wasn't true and I just felt like the sex was blinding all of that and so that's where when I made the decision to be celibate 
Hmm. Okay. That's very interesting. Now, I'll tell you a little story about me and I don't, I don't think I've ever told this anywhere else. It's like crazy, but you know, after, well, let me go back a little bit. So I had my daughter really young. Well, not a teen mom, but I had my daughter at 20. No, I got pregnant at 21 and I had her probably was 22. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm 27 now. She's five. So yeah, that makes sense. And, um, when I had her, I was convicted so much when I would have sex like afterwards that to the point where I was like, I couldn't do it anymore, you know? And I don't know if that was like really like more mental or if that was just like my conscience, like eating me alive. But my grandma, I think like when I was pregnant, she would always say, and I don't know how your family is about sex. Like most families are pretty open these days, but you know, my grandma is pretty old school and I got raised by her. So she would always say, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know why you did this, having sex before marriage. And she just kept saying that like so many times to the point where um, when I started having sex, I would like literally think about her. (laughs) It's crazy. But in the back of your mind, (laughs) Yes, it would come up like time after time. And I would just be sitting there feeling bad after I've been and had sex and it felt good, right? So <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to stop this. And yeah, I kind of just stopped, right? And so um, I think like for my daughter's father and I, like that caused some problems because guys are not really understanding in that area, especially like, young. you know, we're young. Right. And so finally, um, he got to a point where he was like, okay, um, you know, he was going to try to work with it. But after then, I guess we already had issues and then putting like the no sex on top of that was just like made it even worse. Um, so now I'm just like, I don't even want to date because I feel like guys don't understand. But then another part of me is like, okay, there are some guys out there that will understand, but like, finding them may be an issue I don't know so I just had I feel like that's what I feel like that's what helps you find them because even like I've dated guys and I don't like lead with I'm celibate I, I don't feel like that's your business but I've dated guys that I legit hadn't had sex with and it's not even like an issue and I don't even bring it up because I'm like I mean the way I feel is like I'm gonna give my body to who I want to give my body to no matter if I was celibate no matter if I'm not celibate. And I feel like, you know, even I said this on my, my blog, I'm like, okay, if a guy has an issue with it, I'm going to tell you like, open up your bank account and give me all your money. And he'll probably say, well, no, you're not my woman. You're not my wife. Okay. But why you feel like I should share my body to, with you? Yeah. If I feel like my, my body's more important. So um, some guys, I feel like if they're really serious about you, like I feel like some guys, if they're about that, they notice like, oh, she's not giving it up you know, bye. But then some guys that I've noticed, like I've dated like people for like nine months a year. Like I don't like rush into relationships, but I've dated people for a very long time and it hasn't even been an issue nor has it come up or whatever. And I feel like those are the relationships where they value getting to know you. And then when I come out and say like after a while, when I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm celibate. And I never had like a negative reaction to that, to the guys that were really serious about me. I felt like they was like, oh, wow. I mean, they might try, you know, they're always going to try. Yeah, but I, don't I was feel like it just say that. Them <laughs> to the point where they just left me alone. I mean, yeah, they didn't leave me alone. Like most of the time they kind of like respect like, okay, okay. You know, that's kind of like a respectful thing, especially if they're considering you as wifey material. It's kind of one of those things like subconsciously they feel like, okay, well, at least I know she's not out here like giving it up because you know, who knows what guys think. 
And so I feel like the right guys, they've always respected it. The ones when they're like, okay, you know, we've been on several dates or whatever. She's not giving it up. This is whack. They go away. But I feel like that's kind of what you want anyway. Like you don't Mm -hmm. want somebody who who just needs you for that. Right. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's very interesting. I'm just like, yeah, but I have been thinking about getting back out there. I just haven't made that decision to do so. Um, but when I will, I'll let you guys know, five listeners. <laughs> um, so you said, you mentioned you had um, a degree already. You, I, I have a master's degree when, um, whenever you were going to see your son's father um, in jail. So what actually made you pursue that degree in marriage and family therapy? Now, was your master's in this or was it in something else? My master's was in marriage and family therapy. Okay, so what um, actually made you like say, okay, this is what I want to get my master's in? Or can you tell me what your bachelor's is in? And then we can get into that a little bit. My bachelor's is in criminal justice. Oh, wow. So totally different, right? Or kind of sort of, I guess. Is it totally different? It's different, but it is. <laughs> but I feel like my steps were kind of guided in that. So when I got my bachelor's, I actually worked um, at a juvenile correctional facility as a correctional officer, oh, girl. Oh, wow. my God. Okay, I can see the tenant already. <laughs> right. And so, um, and so I actually got pregnant, you know, when I was working there, which the insurance was great. I, like, didn't have to pay anything to have my son. After my son was about two months, that's when I went into um, case management, like, um, community mental health. And so the part I'm getting at is this what convinced me to do my master's. And so I was like sitting at a table, right? And so like there was a clinician, she had a master's, she was a therapist, she was licensed and she was black. And I remember looking at her credentials. I really didn't know what those credentials meant. And God was like, you need to be that. So I would like to say like, oh, I really had this passion, but I really didn't know my gift at the time because I had not discovered it. And so I was just like obedient. I was like, okay, I'll get a master's because God told me to. So the first thing about this story is a year after I got, I was in my master's program, it's like a statewide um, regulation came and said, hey, you can no longer work in this field with just a bachelor's degree, um, only if you're enrolled in the master's program or if you already have a master's. So the first thing is that it saved my job because had I not gone, then I wouldn't have been able to like keep my job because all the bachelor level counselors got let go. And the second thing is that throughout my master's program, I actually found that I was good at counseling. I mean, I was like 20 something years old. I started my master's program when my son was one. I didn't know what I was good at. You know what I mean? I kind of felt like God was like, you know, just do what I say. You'll discover that it's beneficial. And that's just, I kind of like fell into it. And so as I was going through my master's program, my professor was like, oh my God, you're like really good at this. You're really good at relating to people. You're really good at um, doing these things. And then ultimately, you know, as I moved on into what I do now, Um, My master's degree and obviously my PhD helped me to do that. But I kind of feel like when I first started, I didn't know it would lead to this. I was just starting out of obedience. And I just felt like I just didn't recognize that gift yet. Like I didn't know that I was going to be good at that. And so it was just something that God told me to do. And I was like, okay, sure. Why not? I mean, if you're telling me to do it, it it can't be bad. And I was already kind of working in the field. So I was like, yeah, it might get me more money. But did I realize that it would like bring me the amount of success that it would several years later? I mean, no, I make you know, $40,000 more now than what I did when I started the, at the correctional facility. So it was just kind of like, I just kind of like my steps were ordered and I was just obedient. And I just kind of fell into my gift through like following what God had told me to do. Oh, wow. That is amazing. 
So, so uh, random. I know. Another <laughs> not like I've got a passion for doing it. It's like, yeah, I stumbled into it. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Now, when you talk about counseling, do you believe that you have to put your personal beliefs aside? Like, I don't know. I feel like you have to go into it as maybe like, a, not Sophia, right? But like somebody else. Um, like, do you not just putting your personal beliefs aside? Talk about that a little bit. Because, you know, I I know that that has to sometimes be stressful. I don't know, because they say counselors have counselors. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about my uh, my, my, my Christian beliefs, um, so for my internship, I was also, I was, a, um, I, I did my internship at a faith-based counseling agency. So people were coming there for, um, like people who were qualified in counseling, but also who believed in God, because they didn't just want some theoretical orientation. They also wanted it to be from a faith-based approach. And then even when I was a bachelor's level counselor, I, um, that was also a faith-based organization. So I guess I never felt like I had to choose. I mean, obviously, um, as a counselor, and I'm not state licensed, I have a national certification. So I don't practice like one-on-one um, counseling now. But I just felt like, I mean, obviously, if somebody comes in and says, I don't believe in God, like, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to force you. But even like the crazy thing is when I was doing counseling, I feel like people kind of can tell you're Christian, not because you say it, but because of how you are. And they kind of see how you act. So like a lot of clients, and especially when I was working with um, the low income population, like a lot of clients would be like, um, you know, that you're not like everybody else. Like, what's going on with you? Why are you so positive? What, what is happening? And so I feel like naturally the curiosity would kind of like come when they would ask me my religion. I never like force anything on anybody. I don't feel like you need to force God on anybody either. They want to, you know, believe or they don't want to believe. That's their personal decision. But I remember if I can tell you like a quick story, just like a random thing when I was doing oh, yeah. um, mental health counseling, like my, one of my clients, she was very, she, you know, she started to get curious about religion and she couldn't pay her rent. And then, uh, you know, I wasn't going to give her her money for her rent because she's my client. You can't do that. But I was like, you know, I'm going to do what I know how to do. I was like, let me pray for you. So she was like, all right, all right, you know, whatever. So I prayed for her. And literally four hours later, I left her. I went home and she was dating a guy and she was very prideful in the fact that she didn't want to ask him for the money. And her rent was only $50 because she was living in like public housing. But he turned around and he gave her exactly $50, which she needed for the rent. So it's like, she was like, wait, hold on, this God thing might work. And so I feel like it's those moments, like I don't force nothing on you. But, you know, if you're curious about it, I tell you, if you're not, then it's all good. I'm just going to be Sophia regardless. You know, I don't feel like I have to go around pleading the blood of Jesus, you know, whatever. I feel like people kind of recognize like you just from how you act or just, you know, from how you view things and the fact that, you know, I'm not malicious. I'm very forgiving, and especially working in like um, with the severe mentally ill population. People would cuss me out, and the next day I would treat you like it never happened. So I feel like those things are like, okay, like what's going on with her? That's not normal. Most people would get mad, and so I think sometimes with your your behavior that that's what kind of like I went out off on a tangent, but what I'm saying is like I never felt like I had to present myself as a super Christian counselor. It's just something that I just never had to choose with and I feel like every person that I counseled I was in their life for a reason so if they show curiosity about it I'm, I'm more than willing to share but if not then I mean it just is what it is I'm not gonna like say this is my you know my, my religion you have to obviously I would still counsel them from a from a mental health or an education educational perspective um if that makes sense yeah for sure okay so that that makes a lot of sense because I was just thinking 
Like, how could you, you know, go into those spaces and protect your beliefs? But yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and you know, and if I say this, because I feel like sometimes like Christians get such a bad rep for being judgmental. And my personal belief is because I've counseled like everybody from everything under the sun, you know, who have, you know, I just don't feel like no matter what your belief system is, no matter what you've done, no matter what I think about it, I just don't feel like it's my place to judge. So even when people would come to me and counsel me and they can be telling me something completely like off the wall, I just don't feel like, oh my God, God says you're not supposed to do that. I just think that that's so wrong for a counselor to say. I feel like God is love. You know, he loves everybody. Every Nobody's right. You know, everybody's done wrong. So I just feel like I always come from that perspective in the sense that I don't ever force you know, how I view certain things about any anybody. I mean, nobody's perfect. So I just always try to have like a non-judgmental point of view, even as a Christian. I think that, you know, that's a mistake that Christians, when they want to judge everybody, that's not our place. And so I guess that's like my type of thing. Like, I don't, I just feel like it's my job to help you. And so that's just how I go about it. Okay. Yeah, I totally um, see where you're coming from. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, I guess let's get into children a little bit and talking about their behaviors and the way we parent, like how it all affects the children. So um, being that you are a counselor and a single mom, like talk about things that you have had to change about, you know, the way you parent or even maybe some observations you've had from how you see other people parenting their kids and how they should be, I guess, more aware of what they are doing. Right. Right. So I'm definitely more of a, like my parenting style is probably a lot more strict. And so what I will say is that when I said that I worked at the juvenile correctional facility, I also feel that that was God ordained because I saw a lot of kids. Cause, okay. Even though I was the same age as those kids, I started when I was like 21 a lot of them, you had to put yourself in like a parental role in the sense that, you know, I worked the day shift. You had to get them up in the morning, make sure they took their medication, take them to school and all that other type of stuff. So it kind of prepared me for parenting and the fact that I kind of saw what those children needed. And I saw how I didn't want my child to kind of like, you know, turn out. And I used to talk to them a lot, like, you know, what's your home life like and that type of stuff. So I felt like that when I had my son, even though I was never a parent before, I had that experience to bring, you know, bring with me in regards to how I parent him because I was kind of like those like juvenile and these were like murderers. They weren't like, Oh, I skipped school. Like, no, they were like actual criminal people and you have to teach them to respect you and listen to you and not want to like punch you in the face. And so you have to like command authority and respect. And I felt like that is what set the precedent on my parenting journey. So I feel like, you know, I was kind of prepared maybe more than most as a single mom, even though I was young, I also kind of had like some experience in that avenue. But what I can say is that I noticed with a lot of, you know, single mothers that I talk to, a lot of young ones is that they have trouble drawing that boundary in terms of wanting to be like their children's friend or feel like, oh, you know, I'm a single mom. It's my responsibility to give my children everything that they ask for because I feel guilty that I'm a single mom and they're suffering. And then you're wondering like why your children can't accept the word no or you're wondering why, you know, they're throwing temper tantrums when you don't have it. And so I feel like sometimes as single moms, we think that we're doing our children a favor 
but sometimes we're actually hurting them. Like my son, he knows the word no. He knows like if you go into the store and you ask me for something and I say no, that's what it is. Hello. And so I just feel like sometimes, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, okay. sometimes single moms, they try to like overcompensate for the fact that, you know, oh, they don't have a traditional family. I have to give. I have to be their friend. I don't want to discipline them. I don't want them to be mad at me. I want to, I want to, you know, be this and be that. And I just feel like a single mother. You know, don't feel guilty if you can't give your child everything under the sun, a new pair of Jordans. Like my motto, and I say this all the time on my blog, is like, as long as they have a house, some food, and you're doing the best that you can, that is a lot more than what other kids in this world have. And so I would never feel guilty, you know, trying to like overcompensate and giving my child everything that they want as a single mom, because I feel like, you know, I need to like um, make up for the fact that they don't have a dad or even like some young single mothers, like they don't know how to be a mother because, you know, um, like I said, the juvenile correctional facility helped me a lot. If that had not happened, I don't know what type of mother I would be. I feel like I would just kind of be lost in the soft, stumbling and bumbling my way through because I was very young and I didn't know nothing about being nobody's mom. But, you know, and so I feel like a lot of people kind of had that experience as well. Yeah, for sure. Like, I totally did not know what I was doing. You know, like I said, I was 21 and then I had her at 22. I had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, um, yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of a lot of people. Um, and, you know, my mother did have me at 19 as well. Um, she was a single mom. And I kind of feel like that was her experience just growing up as a single mom. I mean, she's doing great now. She has a master's degree. She's retired military and all that type of stuff. But, you know, even through our relationship, like with her being so young, she didn't really know like how to be anybody's parent. She got pregnant right out of high school. And so she just kind of figured it out along the way. And so sometimes, you know, that's what it's about. And so I just feel like don't feel guilty for, don't feel like, don't feel the need to be the perfect parent because that person does not exist. I don't even care if you're in a two-parent household. She's not there. Like, come on now. It's just not possible. So I think, you know, as a single mom, just give yourself credit for the things that you are doing and don't come down on yourself because you're not doing everything that you see other moms doing that are in better situations than your situation. Yeah, for sure. And then um, I wanted to touch on this a little bit. And since you have a counseling background, I think you can talk about this a little bit more than I can. I remember I read a book. Um, What was the name of it? I think it was Parenting from the Inside Out. I'm going to have to get the name and then I'll link the book so that you guys could look it up. But um, I guess maybe it's more psychology based, though, because it has you to do some exercises. Um, And it goes back to when we were kids, basically. Um, and talking about the way we were parented and how we have brought some of that stuff into the way that we parent. And it basically like doing the work to work through those issues and some of the things that, you know, we, again, like we brought into adulthood from childhood, like talk about that a little bit and how, I don't know, cause just say like, for instance, like I would find myself like getting loud with my daughter because that's what my grandma used to do when she raised me and I had to like check myself and be like okay girl tone it down a notch you do need you do not need to like raise your voice at her because she understands that no means no there's no need for you to do this you know but it's like it's something about I don't know just carrying um the ways you were parented right into like the way you do it now so kind of talk about that a little bit and kind of like doing the work to actually get rid of some of that stuff yeah I mean I definitely feel like that's prevalent especially in the black community because I grew up with spankings like for real spankings like for real for real like not like oh I tap you but spankings 
And so, like, I don't spank my son now. And I think, like, my education has taught me. I mean, like, if he really warns this, then yes, I might, but no, not really. Because I think my education has taught me, like, I have a more open relationship with my son. I talk to him about everything. And I feel like the way that I was raised, that, was necess- that wasn't like, oh, kids will be, you know, seen and not heard. You don't necessarily overshare with your child and all that other type of stuff. You know, it's definitely different now because I've learned, like, you know, sheltering my child isn't going to do anything. Having an open and honest dialect is going to do something. And being and disciplining him doesn't always mean like I'm going to beat him just like, like I was really beat, you know, as, as, um, when I was younger. And so I did. And then even it's crazy because my mom now sees that too. She's like, Oh, I talk to your son a lot more because, you know, even though I don't think the way I was raised is bad, but I feel like, you know, you have to be aware of those things. And the way that you do them is like some people, if you realize when you grow up, you can say like, okay, these are the things that I hate that my parents did. And so some people will be like, well, I hate, you know, when my mom yelled at me, I hate when she spanked me. And so then their parents and style, they automatically recognize it. And they say, okay, well, I'm not going to do this to my child because these are the things that I hate. And then sometimes we naturally fall into those patterns because it's what we were, you know, trained to do. So I think ultimately what it comes down to, because I don't feel like any one parenting style is the same, but you do have to realize, you know, am I helping my child or are you hurting my, or am I hurting my child? So if you're parenting based off the fact that this is how my mom raised me and it's helping your child, then fine, it's all good. But if you were saying, like you said, like, why am I yelling at my child for no reason? Then obviously that's something that you need to be aware of and you need to have that open communication with your child. Cause I always tell my son, like, what, what are you feeling right now? Like, you know, I always tell him, I love him, even when I'm yelling at him. Cause sometimes children, and I think that was my thing that when my mom was mad at me, I was like, Oh my God, I feel so unloved. But because I recognize that I'm able to say, you know, I love you. This is why I'm disciplining you understand this. And so he doesn't get so down and out about the discipline because he knows that's not like, it's, it doesn't mean I don't love him or, or his, my discipline doesn't equate to love. And so I think that as parents, like, you know, you have to realize, like, what about my childhood really made me not feel bad about myself? And am I, I mean, feel bad about myself. And am I repeating these same type of behaviors? And then you need to make the steps to change it. And I feel like it could just be so different depending on who you are, because none of us raised the same. But those are just internal soul searching things that each, you know, mom has to do because I do feel like sometimes we fall into those patterns and sometimes we don't even realize that that's what we're doing. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's just like, I just think about all the things, you know, that I went through and I'm just like, wow. I mean, but you know, you recognize first and then that that's like the first step to change and you know, in the way that you pair. And I feel like, you know, you see a systemic thing. That's what we say in counseling in terms of it starts from like the mother to the child. Like, for example, have you seen that movie Precious? Like, I feel like everybody has seen that. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Precious? Yeah, 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 Precious. You know what? But do and I so, remember? you know, like when Mo- I'm trying to think about it. Okay, yeah. All right. And so, you know, Monique's character when she molests Precious and then they were like, you know, why, why are you like this? And she was like, oh, well, that was what was done to me. You know, that was, you know, it just went back to God knows how long. And so it's like, okay, but she never recognized that that was wrong. I feel like it would have been so different if she would have said, okay, you know, I didn't like what was done to me. I need to recognize it and then not do it to my child. But she was just like, well, I didn't see anything wrong with it. It happened to me. And so, you know, I turned out fine. And it was kind of like dismissing that negative behavior. But I feel like we all have a conscience. You should know what's right, what's wrong, what's hurting you and what's not hurting you. And you don't have to repeat those behaviors. If you know that it caused you harm in your childhood, you just have to like recognize those things. Yeah, for sure. 
Now, um, I guess like, I don't know, like maybe the most common issues that you see, maybe outside of like the parents trying to, you know, give them whatever they think they need. Um, but just, I mean, some of the things you, regular single mom stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have stuff to call like the single mom syndrome. I feel like, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that where it's like, okay. And this is what I hate. I absolutely despise it where it's like, oh, well, mom has to have fun too. Yeah, I agree. But you also have responsibilities. So sometimes you have like the single mom that kind of goes out all the time. They're always in searching for a new man. They always have like a man around their kids. They're always just doing like the most, right? And then when you talk to them about it, they're like, well, I have to have fun too. Why should my life stop? Because I had a kid. Okay. But you know, it does kind of have to change because you have a kid, not stop. Not kind of, you have to know that you can't make some type of change. It's like nobody's (laughs) telling you that you can't date or that you can't find love, but it's not responsible to just completely abandon your children, go out every night or, or introduce your, your children to a man, to a new man every night or try to make every man that you meet their new father. Like, come on now. And I think sometimes that just stems from, you know, the mom wanting that family or wanting somebody because they don't want to be alone. And they feel like, well, I'm a single mother. All I have is these kids all day. I want somebody. I want somebody. But it's like, okay, but you can do that responsibly. Like, you don't have to, like, go off the hinges and just, you know, abandon your children, do any and everything and go out. Because I feel like when it comes to kids, kids will always do what they see you do, not necessarily what they, what they hear you say. So if they see mom doing that, then that's the behavior that they're going to think is okay. So even if you have a daughter, she's going to start doing the same type of thing, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places because that's what she sees you do. So I feel like you have a better, a bigger responsibility when it comes to being a mother on even who you let into your life and even how you live your life, because ultimately your kids are always watching, even when you think that they don't. So whatever you choose to bring into your life, even if it's drugs or whatever, you know, you are introducing your kids to that lifestyle. So you have a responsibility not, not to do that. It's not just you anymore. You can't just like smoke weed around them and think it's all good. It's not all good. So I feel like that's like the, the second, you know, one of the biggest things that, that it's like, okay, you know, moms just struggle with, like, especially young moms, they, you know, cause they feel like I, I lost my young years. I lost my young twenties. I lost my teens. I want to still go out and have fun. But it's like, I get that, but you're a mom. You can't do those things anymore. And so I feel like it's always that internal struggle of trying to be like keeping up with their other friends who might not have kids and them trying to fit into that persona and them trying and them like neglecting their mommy responsibilities. So I think that that's a a big thing that single moms have to work through, especially I feel like the younger single moms. Yes, come on. Yes, a word. Um, I think they definitely need to realize that. like change has to be made like the plain blank period. So I'm right. going to go back to your single mom story a little bit. If that's okay. It's okay, girl. I'm an open book. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that, I guess like in one of your blog posts, I was um, reading and you said that you were a Christian, but you didn't really apply the principles to your life in the beginning. And I think we probably can all attest to this. Because I know, like, when I was in college, you know, I consider myself a Christian, too, but I was just still doing some of the same things that non-Christians were doing, right? And so, you, like, what was that light bulb moment for you that uh, made you say, Sophia, you have to change the way that you are living. You have to do something different. Yeah, it was a slow process. Um, Because, I mean, if God requires you to change all at once, you're going to be overwhelmed. 
it was a very slow process in the fact that the decisions that I was making was not making me feel good. And then God was like, if you just do what I told you to do. And then I started reading the Bible. Cause like I said, I think sometimes we're like, Oh, I can just ask for forgiveness when I do this. Like, yeah, you can, but then God is going to require you to like start changing some things. Like, you know, if I'm a serial killer and I keep killing somebody and I ask for forgiveness and keep killing somebody, then come on now, that's not really forgiveness. So it was just kind of like, he was like, you know, you keep doing the same things, you keep going around the same mountain and you keep getting the same results, which is you not feeling good about yourself. Yeah, you keep trying to ask me for forgiveness, but when are you actually going to change? And so with my son's father, I felt like that was the first situation because I kind of got involved with him in like a fun type of thing. We were not in a relationship. I had just gotten out of a relationship with a live-in boyfriend and that situation oh, wow. went bonkers. And so <laughs> instead of doing the right thing, my, my, like my rationale was like, okay, well, I don't want to be hurt anymore. So I'm just going to go out and have fun. And so he was, though, my son's father was like kind of like a friend, you know, and it wasn't that serious. It was just fun. And so it's like, yeah, now I have a child whom I love. But then guess what? I, I now have a son's father who's not involved. And then he was incarcerated for seven years. So then God was like, you know what? Do you see how when you just kind of leap and you don't listen where this will lead you? Because now, you know, all this is on you. And that's not to say like I regret my son, anything like that. But it's like, you know, it just. It, it was just one of those things. And for me, I told myself I would never marry with mar mess with a married man. I did not know he was married until I found out. And I thought, and then God was like, see, if you were doing things right and you got to know somebody, then maybe you wouldn't find yourself in this situation. And even around that situation, it was like so much drama in regards to the things that she was saying about my son in regards to him taking her side. I mean, it was just so much. And that's, and I really had to take personal responsibility in the sense that, you know, I was just not making the right decisions. And that was my fault. It wasn't nobody else's fault, but mine. So either I can keep making bad decisions or I can choose to make the right decisions. And I feel like even when it comes to sex, cause my weakest point was like, fine, man, I'm not even gonna lie. I really love like <laughs> fine man. And I felt like that was just my stronghold. And I remember my friends and they were Christian. They were like, girl, you have like the Jezebel spirit or something. You really <laughs> like allow this to control you. And I didn't realize that that was what was controlling me until I made a decision to stop. And it was like a decision and then I would fail and then I would make a bad decision. And then, you know, like the guy that I became celibate with, like, yeah, I would, that, would be, that was another bad decision. But that was like a long string of decisions of things going south. And I was like, yeah, I need to do something different because this is not fun. Like, and so when I really committed to that change, like I didn't feel as tied to it anymore. Like I felt like dating men, being with men, feeling that, wanting to feel validated by men was like something that I had a problem with. And I didn't know it was a problem until I really committed to removing myself from that situation. So it wasn't like, oh, overnight I changed. It was like, yeah, I fell on my face a whole bunch of times and I don't want to continue to do this anymore. And so I really made small steps into changing. And then I noticed it got easier and easier and easier. And then, like I said, I started doing, I was like, you know, Sophia, what do I really want to do? While I'm chasing these men, what do I want to do for myself? And then once I kind of discovered that, that alleviated a lot of the negative decisions that I was, you know, making. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So um, once you, you know, I guess like you changed everything and I would imagine that your relationship with God improved, right? Yes, tremendously. But I feel like my relationship with God really, I mean, I had always been Christian, but nobody had told me that like God can talk to you 
And like, nobody told me that, like, I didn't like, even in the church, I didn't know what any of of that was. And so really the relationship with God started when, um, when I was with my live-in boyfriend and I had been dating him since college. And that was just like a hot mess. I can't even. And so I remember when he was getting ready to leave, God was like, and this is the first time I knew it was God. God was like, let him go. And everything in me wanted to beg him to stay. He wanted me to beg him to stay. He was like, so you're not going to beg for me to stay. And God was like, no, no, let him go. That was the loudest I had ever heard God. And I knew that it was God. And so once I kind of like recognized that, then that's when I started listening more and more and more and more, because I feel like, yeah, this bad stuff you're doing can always drown out God's voice, but he's always speaking. And I feel like you just have to like start to recognize it more. And when you do, you're like, oh, okay, this is what you want me to do. And then you start to realize like, when he tells you to do something, he's not going to allow you to fail. And so it's like, and so you learn that, hey, when God tells me to do something, it's beneficial if I listen, because this is for my benefit, not like because he wants to make me suffer and make me have like a sucky life in which I don't have fun. No, he's actually want to benefit me. Like even when I told the story about, you know, getting my master's, that was all to benefit me. And so that was like, it was like a trust relationship. I feel like with any boyfriend, girlfriend relationship, it's like, yeah, you're dating, you get to know each other. And then the closer you get, the more, the more trust that's built and the more that you trust that when God tells you to do something, you move, even if you don't know what's on the other side. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like that's faith, right? (laughs) You trust him. You have no clue. Okay. No clue. What is on the other side? What's going to happen? Like, who's going to be there on the other side? Anyways. Yeah. Right. Or even if it's a good thing. But then, like, I look back, like, where I was then and now. And people are like, who are you? Like, I'm not even sure that you're the same person. You're not the Sophia that I knew. Because the Sophia I knew was on a bar, dancing on the table, <laughs> drug, <laughs> acting a fool. Who are you? And so, but I just think that that's just the biggest testimony of how, like, you can really, like, transform and change. And even though I thought that stuff was fun, it's like, no, it's not really like that stuff is kind of like not fun. Like, I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want to, you know, aimlessly walk around getting drunk all the time, hanging out. You know what I mean? Like that had no fulfillment in it. It was like, yeah, yeah, it was fun for the moment. But really, when I got home, I was like, yeah, I'm not really doing anything with my life. Like, what is this? And so, you know, and so it's just a transformation. And so people who see me now, they don't even recognize. They're like, who are you? I don't I don't know who this person is. But then also. I will say that the people that I knew like 10 years ago are in the same place that they were 10 years ago. And so I also yeah. feel like that's oh where God, God, you know, because you're in the same place and I'm in a completely different place. So, you know, and like I said, it's always for your benefit when you kind of choose to like listen to God and what he's telling you to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, I always say that if I'm the same person I was 10 years ago, then it's a problem. Okay. Because I should be evolving. <laughs> Like I am right, a right. But some people are like you would be surprised. Some people are like, oh, <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. So you know this whole transformation process for you is that what kind of influenced your idea to create a devotional specifically for single moms? Yes. So it is, and I didn't realize it until people would start asking me like. How did you do this? I feel like when you're in the transformation process, you don't realize how transformed you are. So people are like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You are not the same person. How did you do this? And it's like people were starting to like reach out to me on because they knew the things that I suffered with. Like I said, you know, I was like cuckoo, gaga for men. I used to hang. I mean, they just knew that person. And so they're like, okay, wait. So now you're like Dr. Reed. Now you have a better job. Now you have a purpose. 
you are not that person. So how did that happen? And so that's why I was like, okay, well, let me explain exactly to you how you can, you know, emulate that. And I feel like a lot of Christian, you know, even blogs, what I wanted to do was be just straightforward. Like even talking to me, I'm a regular person. I'm not like going to run and sprinkle holy water on you or like start doing something crazy. Like I feel like Christianity doesn't mean that you're unrelatable and that you just turn into this nun where you're, where you're not having fun or anything else. God talks to me in a very relatable way. And so when it came to my book, I wanted to be, I wanted to train, I wanted to give people that like the same way that God kind of shoots at me straight. If he, if I'm full of nonsense, God is like, you know what, Sophie, you're doing something real dumb right now. Like I wanted to make it a more relatable way so that people can feel closer to God. Like, no, it's not some old King James version of the Bible that you're reading and you don't know what it says and you can't relate to. Like when you really get close to God, it's very relatable. And I feel like that was a gift that I had in terms of making the word relatable because that's how my relationship with God is. And so that's just the type of energy that I wanted to bring to my book. Like, I'm not telling you to transform just because, you know, I'm some perfect person. No, I'm telling you to transform because I was you. I've been through what you've been through. I've been broke. I've been struggling. I've been a whole lot of things. And guess what? None of that really mattered. And God is the one who brought me out of that. And I just wanted to show people that, you know, this is coming from somebody who did it, who, who is still doing it, who's been through a lot. And so I want you to, you know, to come out of it too. Yes, for sure. So what can single moms expect to really gain from, you know, reading this devotional? Is it um, like a 30-day devotional or is it kind of, you know, you just read when you can or um, is it like more than 30 days? Yes, yeah, so it's a 30-day devotional, and it's called Fix It Jesus, because <laughs> that's what we say as single moms, and it's for single moms only, the straightforward, no-nonsense guide to passion, purpose, and prayer. So it's not necessarily like a mom thing in terms of if you're talking about just your kids. It's specifically created for single moms who want to do better, who want to be better, who want better relationships, who want to know how can I move to the next level, who want to know, like, how can I stop struggling, and how can I stop worrying about those situations. So each day and each devotional is a specific topic that you can relate to as a single mom. It'll address it. It'll tell you how to conquer it. And it also has the individualized prayer that comes with it. And then as like an extra add-on, I'm also creating a workbook that goes along to it and a Bible study video, like just talking one-on-one with me. I mean, obviously it's not live, but just to give my personal stories and my accounts on why I came up with each day because each day was specifically related to my single mom journey. And I know that it's related to, you know, your single mom journey. I mean, you know, talking about being a single mom with no help, talking about at one point I had got laid off from my job and being broke, you know, those situations of like, hey, I don't know where I'm going to get food from today, or I don't know how I'm going to pay at the time I had a house, how I'm going to pay my mortgage. Like it talks about those specific things related to single moms and how you can just like say, you know what, God can get you out of those things. Like I have seen legit miracles, like money appear in my mailbox type miracles. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, you know, whatever you're going through, don't think that God is like, you know, outdated. Don't think any of that, you know, can't be possible because God is like some man in the sky who doesn't care what you do or what you say. No, this is a real relationship that you can have for him. And he can give you any passion or purpose or bring you out of anything. And I believe, and I always say in my blog that, you know, as daughters of God, we're royalty. So I believe that we're all queens. We're all princesses. So, you know, fix your crown and step into that calling because that's what he has for you. And so that's more of what the book is about. Like, let's stop settling for the mediocre and thinking that we have to be, you know, this single mom 
in this stereotypical life, that's not God's plan for any of us. And I feel like it's something that's so overlooked because there's not many single moms out there telling other single moms that. So that's like what I wanted to do for this book. Okay, that's awesome. I can't wait to dig in and read it. Now tell us when the book will be available for purchase or can they pre-order it now? So you can pre-order the Kindle version of the book. Um, if you want it on paperback, you have to wait till July 1st, and then you have to order it on paperback. And then as an extra tidbit, um, what I'm offering people who either order the book in the first week in paperback or pre-order the book is that I'm offering my workbook and my video for free. I'm going to sell it like to the general public. But if you like go to my site and you sign up for my, my, um, my newsletter, and then you can find out how to do that. So then you pre-order the book and then I'll get your information. And then I'm going to also send you the workbook and the video for free. So that's how much I believe in it. And that's how much I believe that this is going to be like an encouragement to everybody. So you just need to have the whole set. So, so that's yeah. just like, <laughs> she said, you just need to have the whole set, honey. Get your yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, before we get out of here, um, I normally end the call by kind of um, having our guests to lead the moms with some tips specific um, to what we talk about, right? So in this situation, or not this situation, but in this call, um, like what tips do you have for moms that may um, be allowing their situation or circumstances to affect their behavior? or like parenting towards their children? I would say that, you know, you are not your past. Whatever mistakes that you have done, even if it was five minutes ago, are gone away. Step into a new life. Be the person that you want to become and realize that there's nothing limiting you from that and never continue to repeat the same mistakes. Oh, um, that's awesome. Does it need to be longer? <laughs> no, 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 that is totally fine. That, that is fine. Um, okay, well, Sophia, um, but before we go, let the listeners know where they can find you on social media, how they can connect with you um, via your site and that good stuff. Yeah, so go to my site. Um, it's www.sophisticated and it's a play off my name. So it's S-O-P-H-I-E dash and then sophisticated, S-T-I-C-A-T-E-D, mom, M-O-M dot com. And then there you'll see like my site, like all my social media and stuff is on there. I don't want to like take up your time with each handle, but um, that's where you can connect with me. That's where you can find out more information about my book. Sign up for my newsletter if you're interested in getting the free workbook and the video. And you can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram through that site. Okay, awesome. And then I normally just link your site and um, social media in the show notes. That way the listeners could actually click on, on it and be taken right there. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. It was a pleasure talking to you. I know this might be a crazy interview, my long rant, but it was definitely Uh, a pleasure. (laughs) Not at all. I am sure they will enjoy it. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Sophia dropped a lot of gems and I hope you were really listening. If you need to go back and take you some notes, please do that. But In the meantime, if you found this episode helpful, go ahead and leave a review. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
And you can connect with me over on Instagram and Facebook at Single Black Motherhood. You can also take some time and visit the website at singleblackmotherhood.com. As always, thanks so much for taking the time out to listen. I appreciate each and every one of you. Until next week, talk to you guys later. Bye.